And this is Adapting, the future of Jewish education, powered by the Jewish Education Project and Jewish Live. I'm David Breifman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to what is now our fifth livecast episode of Adapting, the future of Jewish education. And this production is in partnership with Jewish Live, which is a virtual festival for curated Jewish content. Hi, my name is David Bryphon. I'm the CEO of the Jewish Education Project. And we're an organization that works with educators every single day to inspire and empower them to transform Jewish experiences for young people around America and around the world. This original series developed in the midst of a pandemic. And we know that when we're coming out of this pandemic, we want to ensure that the Jewish educational system and the Jewish community is as strong as ever before, if not thriving to be even greater than it once was. Well, since this pandemic began, it's now going on over 100 days for many of us, um, America's also changed. And today's special um, episode really has a whole lot of other connotations going on and a whole lot of other realities that we're now all living with as well. I'm really, really pleased to be joined by my two guests today. But before we get into the topic of race and racism in Jewish education, just a few technical notes before we get started. For those of you joining us on Zoom, we invite you to ask your questions using the Q&A function. We'll try and get to as many of them in the, probably in the second half of the, of the discussion today. But I also want to say that we'll try and incorporate as many of the questions as we can before we get to that part and to acknowledge that about 50 people already gave us some questions and things to consider by the Facebook group JEDLAB, who are also good friends of ours here at the Jewish Education Project. In the chat box, feel free to write your name, where you're coming from, anything you want to say in the chat box, go for it, the Q&A for questions. Finally, all of these episodes are being recorded and they will be on our website for you to access at a later date. So now let's get into the content of today. I want to be very clear, there's quite a lot going on in today's conversation, and it's not all the same thing. We will be spending a part of today's conversation about race and racism in Jewish education, talking about what it means for us as a Jewish community to be including Jews of color within all of our work. We'll also be having a conversation today about how Jewish education ought to be responding to racism in America and around the world. And there's a third issue, and I don't think it's completely unrelated, but all of this is taking place amidst the pandemic that we find ourselves in, which is possibly only serving to exacerbate all of the issues that we see in front of us. And yet I want to be pretty transparent and real with all of you as well. Um, I've done countless of presentations, hundreds, thousands, maybe. Today's made me more anxious than almost anything else I've ever done. The stakes are really high, and I don't want to diminish that. But I also want to know, note for everybody that today's only a conversation. And if anything, what we're achieving today is raising to some people's consciousness what's really at stake, and that this should be a starting point for what's about to come forward beyond today's conversation. I think I also need to say that when someone just asked me recently, like literally half an hour before getting on this call, what do you hope to achieve? I really wanted to try and give a really simple goal here. I want all of us out there in the world, all of us out here listening today, to know what it's going to take to be good allies or to be good members of a Jewish community that is inclusive and standing up for what's right in the world. Maybe saying it like that even raises the stakes, but I'm prepared to go there. I also want to say one more thing before really introducing our guest today. Um, 
I'm highly influenced by the work of Parker Palmer, who talks about, he's a Jesuit, a Jesuit educator, who talks about the role of the individual in everything we talk about. And this is also deeply personal um, for many of us. In the last week, my conversations with my own children have ranged from, well, for the last hundred days, I've been in social isolation and now we're going to a rally. I don't get it. Why is now the time for us to be around other people? Or my seven-year-old asked me, um, all my life you've told me that the police are our helpers. They're the people in our community that we should be turning to for support. And now we're out there protesting against these very same people. So with this mixture of personal and professional and anything in between for all of us here, I knew that today was also a time for me to sit back, for me to listen and for me to learn and hopefully give all of you the space to learn from two of our wonderful guests today. I'm pleased to introduce Chava Shervington, who is a current board member and past president of the Jewish Multiracial Network, where she became recognized as a voice on issues of racial equity and inclusion for the Jewish community. She's a regular speaker and writer on issues of diversity and Judaism, and you're able to link to some of her articles, I think one which came out as recently as today, um, that we're able to look at on our website afterwards. I'm also really pleased to introduce Yoshi Silverstein, who I've known for quite a while and in various different, um, in different formats. Yoshi is the founder and executive director of the Mitsui Collective from Cleveland, a community organizer for Edot HaMidwest, the Midwest Regional Jewish Diversity Collaborative, and director emeritus of the Joffe Fellowship at Hazon. He is an author, a speaker, a movement teacher, and Jewish educator, and his work is also centered around the intersection of embodied Jewish practice and multiracial justice. So with that as the groundwork, I want us to have an opportunity to meet our two guests today, and I'm gonna ask each of them to introduce themselves, tell us a bit about who you are, your families, where you find yourselves now, and a bit about your pathway to becoming a Jewish communal professional. Kava, let's start with you. Welcome. Thank you. Um, sure. So um, I am an Orthodox mother who lives in Los Angeles, California, um, after almost 15 years um, in New York. Um, I have a recovering lawyer. Um, um, I've been working on racial equity and uh, Jew of color community um, organizing for probably a little bit over a decade. Um, when up until I graduated from law school, um, my Jew of color community was very informal. It was um, family friends. It was the random people that I met at shul or at school. And when I graduated from law school, um, I joined this budding social media company um, called Facebook and recognized that there were so many more of us than I even knew. Um, and being the single young professional, like all um, trying to find, you know, a nice Jewish guy to marry, I uh, said, let's throw a party. Let's get this community offline and started to do some informal organizing with a friend of mine who we started organizing events for young JOC professionals in the New York area every other month which led to more formal JOC institutions. Um, and I've been working for the Jewish, with the Jewish Multiracial Network on these issues, um, particularly around education, um, children, identity development, et cetera, for my um, duration there. And now as a mother, I'm also kind of dealing with it from a personal perspective, as I have 
children in Jewish educational environments as well. So dealing with it both from a professional aspect as well as from the personal. Great. Thanks, Chava. Um, JOC, Jew of Colour. We'll try and get all the lingo out there for people to understand. Um, and if people don't understand some terminology, that's a, that's a really great question to ask us because today really is a learning experience for everybody. Yoshi, tell us a bit about yourself. Great. Thank you, David. It's um, great to be great to be on with you. Um, and Chava, really an honor to, to be on with you um, as well. It, and uh, yeah, I'm grateful to be here. Uh, first off, there was a question in the chat of what is this plant behind me? So I'll start right there. This is a fiddle leaf fig. Um, it is, it's in the ficus family. Um, and uh, you can see it has these big leaves that look kind of like fiddles, um, which is where the name, name comes from. Um, it was a Costco acquisition and it seems to be doing, doing pretty happy right here. Uh, so I am in the Cleveland area, as David said, and um, uh, we, I've been here for, for about nine or 10 months, uh, moved here to be closer to family with my wife who grew up here. Uh, I was in five years living in Brooklyn, New York, working in lower Manhattan for before that and too many other places before that to even start to list. Um, I'm, I'm a longtime professional in the Jaffe world. Jaffe is Jewish outdoor food farming and environmental education. So I don't know who's keeping a tally, but that's at least two acronyms now that we've put in the call. I was like, I mean, like any Jewish, good Jewish education call should have, you know, too many acronyms to keep track of. Uh, so, uh, you know, both in the secular world or like the Afi world, as we call it, as well as formerly within the Jewish world of Jaffe. Um, along the way, both sort of as a, as a hobby and then in different ways, pulling into my professional work, um, have been in the movement and fitness world, as well as the, uh, you know, J, uh, the JOC sort of community building work, um, and more so in the diversity, equity, inclusion work, you know, and particularly racial justice work. And I, I like to say I'm someone who have a hard time keeping hobbies, hobbies, because as I get more and more into something, I also, my, the way my brain works, is I see that all the connections between things. And so I just want to, if I get passionate enough about something, I want to figure out how to wrap it into my work. And that's largely in a sense, um, in a lot of senses, what Mitsui Collective has become about. Um, I want to tell two really quick stories in terms of this question of how, how I became a Jewish communal professional. The first one is, you know, so I, so I grew up in Spokane, Washington, which is a very small Jewish community. My, um, we, we were a family that were sort of loosely Jewish. We did the big holidays, right? Uh, so we had a definitely Jewish identity, but we're not super, super involved in the community when I was young. Uh, when it came time to go to Hebrew school, uh, my older sister, who I looked, to, looked up to for everything, she had decided not to go and she didn't have a bat mitzvah. And so um, I initially said, well, okay, if she didn't go, I'm not gonna go. But I had a classmate in, uh, in my regular elementary school who had been at Hebrew school the night before and he came, uh, came into class and he said, hey, Yosh, I gotta show you what we learned in Hebrew school last night. And he sat down and he showed me how to write doo-doo in Hebrew. And being like probably a third grader, I think, and I thought it was the coolest thing I had ever seen. And I literally went home that night and I said, mom, you've got to sign me up for Hebrew school. Like, what have I been missing? Uh, and so she signed me up. I, I started the next fall. I had a tutor who, you know, helped get me caught up, um, you know, and now, however, you know, a few decades later, here I am as a, you know, running a Jewish organization. So, uh, you, so you never know what, you know, can instigate these things. The second thing that I want to sort of tell about how I came to came to this work is, uh, so my, my given name is Joshua. Yoshi comes from my Hebrew name, Yoshua. And I started going by that name in college, you know, definitely a time when everyone's sort of figuring out their self identity and taking different things on. Um, so 
also in college, I, um, you know, I had, I had an AOL instant messenger screen name, um, that was ready to be changed. And, uh, and so, you know, this, this is like a good, like dating of things of when this all took place. Right. Uh, and so I had been over at a friend's dorm room, we we're playing a video game and I was playing a character called Yoshimitsu. And I was like, ready to change my screen. I was like, oh, well, let's do that, but make it Jewishy. And so I changed it to Yoshimatsu, purely as a pun on the name. Uh, that became sort of my like go-to screen name for years to come. Uh, and so, you know, several years later, so I went to my uh, to graduate school for landscape architecture, and I was starting to initially explore what does it look like to create a language of landscape design within a Jewish framework and starting to play with that. And so I wanted to have a name for sort of some ideas that I was coming up with. And so I started coming to this like Yoshimatsa and playing with that. And that's where the word Mitsui comes from. It has the same root as matzah, and Mitsui is Aramaic for the activation of potential. So it also, it's, it's you know, same root as matzah, as motzi, limso. And so that sort of set that stage. And then, of course, now in the work I do with Mitsui Collective. But, you know, I was talking to, to someone, to, um, to, uh, to Kohenet at, at a Friedman retreat, and we were just talking about the power of naming yourself. And that's a really core part of the Kohenet thing is a lot, of, a lot of Kohenet, when they graduate, sort of take on a new identity. And I realized, thinking back to it, that inadvertently in college, by taking on this name Yoshi Matza, I had basically named myself Yoshi Activator of Potential. And that really set the stage for really all of the work that I've done since then sort of fits into that category of activating the potential as an educator for other people as you know working with community um working with landscape um so 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 all of those things so I think it's just um the more I've, I've recognized uh just the yeah, I guess almost like a magical power you know that I had not, not even knowing it um, so, this, this question is almost the antithetical of what you just said right and I'm going to ask you because naming is you taking upon the name yourself and you giving yourself the identity you want. How do other people label you or how do you label yourself? Like what's the label you use? And I'll ask cover the same question. Um, and I'll talk a bit about this because I do think the act of label, like naming is your, your personal identity, how you want to express, but labeling um, is really important part of education as well. And so much identity development falls into these labeling categories. So what's the quick three word label that you give yourself or five word label you give yourself? Yeah. Yoshi? Yeah. Um, as I was taking my notes, I have, I have three like bullet points. So the first is I'm a Chinese Ashkenazi American Jew. So that's one. I'm also a cis male husband and father. Um, and then as I said, like educator, mentor, coach, sort of activator of potential. Yeah. Okay. How would you answer that question in terms of labels? Um, I would consider myself black, Jewish, Orthodox, Sephardi mother. So. Okay. Okay. Now, there are over 250 people, I think, on this call at the moment, but I do want to point out that we are recording today on June 10th, and it's about two and a half weeks after the murder of George, George Floyd. So for those of you, the context here is important. And I do want to start off with the issue of race and racism in America and Jewish education's response. And I really want to get to the crux of this and talk to you a bit about um, your experiences as Jews of color in the Jewish community. Um, what do you want to share with the audience about what it's been like for you um, in different contexts? And in doing so, what are some of the messages you want to start sharing out? But let's start off with how have you experienced being a Jew of color in the Jewish community, both the negative and maybe some of the positive as well? Chava, let's start with you. Um, I mean, I think with all things, um, there's a variety of 
um, pieces to that. I think that one is that I am in certain spaces and in certain times treated like a wonderful integral part of the Jewish community. I'm very involved in a variety of aspects, uh, not just through my work with the Jewish Multiracial Network, but through my shul, through our school PTA, et cetera. But um, I, a lot of that requires time and it requires relationship building. Um, when I first walked down a street in a from neighborhood and I um, try and open the door that needs to be buzzed in, you know, the, the eyes always look and they kind of say, does this person cue someone I should um, let in the door? Or um, when I walk into a space for the first time, you know, there's always kind of a little bit of a challenge often. Um, what are you doing here? Who are you visiting? Sorry, pandemic parenting. Um, <laughs> um, and, you know, there's always a recognition that, and, you know, I, I think people often use this, like a Jew is a Jew is a Jew, until that Jew looks like me. Um, and then even if I didn't say, oh, I'm a black American, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Jew, everybody else will recognizes that around me. And so that is very much a part of how I interact and engage with the Jewish community. Um, either it's to help people understand my presence um, in Jewish space, um, or it's to kind of explain other black people to folks in Jewish space. Um, and really a lot of it is involves um, taking space, regardless of whether people want to give it to me or not. So I think that that's a huge part of kind of like my Jewish experience. I own my Judaism wholly. Um, I'm very um, comfortable in it. Um, I don't shy from it. I think I own my Jewishness just as much as I own my Blackness. And therefore, I kind of demand that the community recognize all of me, not just the Blackness of me, but also the Jewishness of me. Thank you. Yoshi, a bit about your experiences? Yeah, I think, um, so, so, so some of the things that I'm, re I'm reflecting on, it's, it's one, well, you know, since, since I was able to articulate anything about my own identity, um, I've identified, you know, as being, being Jewish and being Chinese. Um, you know, I think as a kid, I, I would have said I'm half Jewish and half Chinese. Um, my both, I think the general discourse has evolved as well as my own understanding, which is um, that, you know, being Jewish is all of me. It's not like half Jewish. Um, but if we're talking about my parentage, right, then that's that's a slightly different thing. And I think we're actually at a stage where we we don't quite have the right language to figure that out, right? Because if, even if we said I'm, I'm half Ashkenazi, but most of what I've encountered in my own Jewish experience has been like the Ashkenazi, you know, culture and and practices in terms of Jewish tradition. So that's also a weird thing. So, so anyway, um, so that's that's part of it. Um, I think specifically then for me, it goes back about six years or so, specifically encountering this term Jew of color. And the first time someone asked me and they said, hey, can I ask you maybe a sensitive question? Do you identify as a Jew of color? I had to stop and think, I don't know, like, let me get back to you, um, you know, and, and so I think there's a lot that has gone into for me, um, what does it mean to take on 
that that identity and that label. Uh, what does it mean? What does it mean to be in community with other Jews of color? What are the sort of the, the benefits, so to speak, of being part of this sort of like multiracial coalitions, right, that we call JOC? And then also what are the obligations and responsibilities that we take on? And so I think, you know, it's interesting, like Chav and I are both self-identified as Jews of color, among amongst other things. But and we're both Jewish, like there are, there are obviously many things that we could say that we share. Um, but there's also many ways, obviously, in which we're different people. Um, and so it's, it's kind of funny to say, like, this thing that we're creating in JOC community, the thing that we share is not being white. And sort of, I mean, it's interesting, like, what is the presumption around what that means we do share? And the truth is we do share a lot in that, in that experience. Um, but it's also important to really think about the, 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 um, the differences that are, that are in there. And so I think that right now in this moment, of being a non-black Jew of color, um, I think one, it's, it's been a lot of asking of questions for sure, of really trying to interrogate what is my role in this, in this moment, as well as, you know, in the past and moving into the future, but um, particularly in this moment, seeing how the black community in America has been absolutely like the most affected, um, certainly right now and going back, you know, over 400 years. So if we know that that's true, then how do I work in solidarity and allyship and, and in support? Those are really important questions for me. But I will also say it's like a little bit weird. I think a lot of the discourse in uh, that's happening right now is kind of literally black and white. It's like, this is the stuff, you know, being put out by or meant for black folks. And this is the stuff for white folks. And so to be neither black nor white, I will say is like, kind of, it can be feel like a confusing sort of like state of like, well, so, so, so how do, how exactly do I plug into this right now? Um, you know, acknowledging, you know, privilege for sure in certain areas, but also, you know, areas that are challenging. So, so all of that, I think that's what I'm trying to so do right now. I don't want to dwell on this too much longer, but I do think it's important that we call this episode of adapting race and racism in Jewish education. And the, and the tension was there as to how we actually labeled the session. Um, one of the things you do have um, in common is that both of you have experienced implicit, and as we discussed in our prep call, explicit, um, there's no other way to describe it, racism within the Jewish community. You have both been on the receiving end of of stereotype racist attitudes from people in communities that often claim to be inclusive and love your neighbor as yourself type communities. And when you've been, you've been there and both of you have both written about this um, and expressed it several times about being thought of as something less than um, the white Jew in that community. And I think it's, um, it was telling for me to hear that from both of you I don't know if there's much more to extrapolate there if you wanted to react to that, but I mean, it was very, it, it, it laid very heavily on me when you both shared with me your experiences in that regard. Well, I think part of the conversation around race in Jewish communities, even in spaces that would consider themselves relatively progressive, is when they talk about Jews of color, it's still almost as if we're a guest that's being invited to come to a party rather than hosting the party ourselves. And I think that that's part of what still allows um, kind of, it's still reflection of kind of the unconscious racism within our community. Um, it's not necessarily people's 
explicit values, but it's just that their concept of Judaism and who Jews are is so narrow. And that's just, look, it's a narrative that our community has told itself, right? When we talk about Jewish looking or Jewish hair or my Jew fro, like we have all of those conjure very specific images that exclude both myself and Yoshi. And so when I say, hey, um, I want to come to shul. I want to put my kid in school. I want to go to school. It's like, oh, well, let's, you know, let's invite you in. Let's welcome you in as if you're some extraneous person that we're, we're now exercising um, a duty of nice, niceness or we're extending a privilege to rather than kind of saying, you're right, you're part of our community, you're my brother, you're my sister, and you have just as much ownership of this space as I do. And so I think that that's part of um, just kind of the, the underlying um, cause for some of the experiences that Jews of color face in Jewish community, regardless of kind of our racial or ethnic background. Okay. Um, we will we'll move on a bit, but we'll come back to some of these things. I do really want to make sure we end up this conversation with what are some tips? What are some advice? What are the things you really want to leave all of our listeners with? But I want to dwell a bit upon um, um, the tragedy of the last. When I say, let's say this. A couple of years ago, I was hosting um, a, a broadcast of a, of a movie called Gender Revolution. When we were talking about transgender issues um, in society. And Katie Couric was the person who was um, leading the documentary. And she basically said, I know I'm going to screw this up, kids. I, I've got no idea which gender pronouns to use, right? So with, all, with that as my caveat, like, I know I'm going to screw the next part of this up. But teach me. By the way, there's a, there's a sidebar here, which is just an interesting sidebar. Um, Yoshi was a former student of mine. To be able to have Yoshi now as my teacher is just a delightful um, a delightful flip for every, for me as especially. Um, what's the Jewish responsibility right now? What's the responsibility at a time in, uh, in, in what's the Jewish education responsibility in a time after the murder of George Floyd? What should Jewish education be doing now to stand up to racism? Um, we were really good at standing up when there was anti-Semitism. We were very fast to react. We all knew what to do then. But now in this particular moment, and I'm not suggesting that this has only been around for the last two and a half weeks, because we know this has been endemic for many, many years, decades, centuries. But what do you both think is the role of Jewish education at this particular point in time, two and a half weeks after the murder of George Floyd? Yoshi, let's start with you. Great, thank you, and and I, and and as you mentioned it, I, it was uh, the 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 course I took was an online course a seminar on experiential Jewish education, which is kind of a par like how do you teach an experiential Jewish education course online? And you you did a great you, it was great it was really a great so so and thank you to that and and I and I, I genuinely you know it's it's something that has has you know been made its way into my teaching in many ways. So I think um, so the first one's quick and I'm you know I think there's a question about what's the, what's the response and what's the role for Jewish educators right now. And I think, you know, if we, if we were to say really simply, I think um, to me, I'm thinking about it is as an educator, how, how are you working as a guide for others? Um, and then I'm also thinking, you know, sort of 
as educators, I hope that we're all, you know, in a, in a mindset where we're continually learning and strengthening our own skill sets as educators. And so I think that's the other real role right now is, is how are we doing that as educators? When I think about the purpose of Jewish education broadly, um, you know, in, in general, we're like, regardless of like current events, I think um, the way I, the way I see Jewish education and the role is to really empower Jews of all ages, not just the ones that are, you know, 13 and younger, but Jews, Jewish people of all ages, um, to empower them with the ability to implement and adapt the wisdom and toolkit of Jewish tradition in ways that are grounded in our history and our lineage, our culture and values and ethics that enable us to live more meaningful and purposeful lives today. So I think of it as sort of like Jewish education, if Judaism is an instrument that we use to co-create the world, so to speak, uh, you know, like alongside the, the divine and nature and, and, and all these things, then Jewish education is like, how do you teach us to use that instrument? And so, um, you know, one of, one of the, frameworks that I've learned in my movement studies is this idea of when you're learning a new skill that it's that the progression is isolation integration and then improvisation and so you're isolating you know let's say music you're isolating that one note or that one chord or sorry that one or chord or that scale so that you can really get it on your fingertips you're integrating it when you're playing it within a piece of music and you're reading off the sheet music but all too often we stop right there Right. And so the true mastery of a skill is when you can improvise with it, when you can play jazz and you're just you're in the moment and that chord, that skill just comes to you and you can you have the uh, ability to just do with it what you want. And so I think we're in a moment um, and I will say just, you know, I think I think. I think a lot of Jewish education has stopped at that integration and not hasn't done enough of how do you improvise, you know, life is just a giant improvisation. And so are we, you know, enabling our Jewish learners to really go through the process of knowing how to improvise with the tools that we're giving them. And so I think right now we're in this moment where it's really clear that our values of Tikkun Olam and justice and B'Tselem Elohim and all these things that are sort of um, are taught in Jewish education, do we have the toolkits? Do we have the capacity to really actually do something with them right now? Whether that's really internally focused with the Jewish community, externally broadly, I would hope all of the above. But I think that to me is like, that's what we need to be thinking about as Jewish educators today. And Chava, I'd love to hear your response. And uh, it might be a bit different to Yoshi's based on our prior conversation, but that's great. Sure. So. Um, I will also say kind of like coming from the frame as a lawyer, I always think of things in practicalities, right? Um, so something I always like kind of use as a frame of reference, um, according to the way that our education system works, like black people have already accomplished time travel, right? So they are present in slavery, they're present in the civil rights movement, and then Barack Obama got elected, and then like they're nowhere in between. They're nowhere in science, they're nowhere in math, <laughs> like nothing else happened in America or the world that involved black people ever, um, other than those three periods and moments in time. And so I think that's a huge factor into how just like anti-blackness like seeps into our society, that um, we have yet to incorporate these stories and narratives, presence and contributions of people of color into the general fabric of our education practice. So when we are talking about World War II and um, we're talking about the Rust Belt and we're talking about 
all of these other different science, science, we're talking about contributions in math, like all of these different topics can include people of color. Um, and they don't. And I think that what we really, you know, should be looking at is how do we incorporate kind of like anti-racist principles into our educational system. And it's not a political philosophy. It's really just infusing the stories and narratives of people of color into the various aspects of our educational system so that we understand how systems came to be. Like housing inequality didn't poof up. You know, the problems of George Floyd and the racial justice system and the criminal justice system and, you know, the dis the dis wealth disparity between black folks and white folks in America didn't magically mysterious, you know, appear out of nowhere. And it's hard for us to recognize that because we don't ever learn anything about black people or other people of color except slavery, civil rights, and Barack Obama, maybe. Um, and that's if it all fits into February. Um, you know, I remember as a kid, I knew maybe four black people in black history that I actually learned in school. I knew about Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, MLK and maybe George Washington Carver if we were getting really fancy and in-depth. Um, and that's a problem. Um, and I think it's a problem also because kids do not see people of color, particularly in the Jewish community. Like the reality is our community is not as diverse. Our schools are not as diverse as the general American population. And so people do not have the interpersonal relationships with people of color to often discredit, understand, and have complex ideas about how people of color operate in the world and their histories. And so what we need to do from an educational perspective is to present our children with full, complex, multidimensional people, you know, images of people of color. And that's you know, introducing kids through media, through books, through publications, um, where they actually talk about things other than racism and crime. Um, it's having conversations about race and racism in your classroom. Kids see difference. I have two small children. My oldest is six. I remember coming into a playgroup at 18 months old and a little kid, you know, or two years old, and a kid looking at me is like, why are you brown? And the mother got beat red and just completely embarrassed. But kids notice difference. And I was very comfortable saying, you know, Hashem makes people in different colors. You know, we all look different. She's this, she's this, she's that. And the kid understood that. And that was an appropriate way to have that conversation for, for a two-year-old. And I think, unfortunately, um, we're so afraid to say the wrong thing, to do the wrong thing, that we do nothing. Um, I tell this story about a show all the time. A friend gave somebody a Shabbat invite to my house, and it was a friend of a friend, so we'd never met each other. This, I'm sure 30 minutes, you know, who is, why is this girl not here? Why is this girl not here? Why am I waiting for her? Why am I waiting for her? And she, and someone's like, oh, I think this is the person you're looking for. And I come to her, I was like, well, I don't understand. What were you doing? What took you so long? 
to find me. And she was like, well, you know, I only had a basic description. I didn't, you know, really know who you were. And this, I was like, did nobody tell you I was black? And she said, no. The person was so afraid of creating offense that they were like, oh, she's, you know, 5'2", with dark hair, which is everybody in a synagogue for the most part. And she didn't, she was so afraid of race, she wouldn't say like, you're looking for a black woman who is around X age. And so we were looking for each other for 30 minutes. And I think that that's just a reflection of our fear. And we need to kind of lean into the moment. There's a question that's come up a few times and it's here as well. I'll try and paraphrase it in a way to be generative here. Um, whose responsibility is this? Like, is this the responsibility of, of, of white Jews to open up their doors and be more inclusive? Is the responsibility on Jews of colour to set up these coalitions and to try and um, advocate and do this work? Clearly the answer is going to be somewhere in between. But seemingly to put the responsibility on Jews of colour to be integrated into the Jewish community in some ways seems to be just a further perpetuation of the divide and doesn't seem to be morally um, the right thing. And then personally, for example, I have like, so when are you going to get a black person on your board? Or um, how many people of colour do you have on your educational staff? Like, I get these questions all the time. And I think the question of whose responsibility is it to rectify this situation in the Jewish community? Clearly, the answer is both. But I want to, like, what burden do you feel? What obligation do you feel? Does this come naturally to you? Or is this something you just wish you didn't have to be doing? Yoshi. Yeah, it's a it's a really it's a good question, and I think I think you're right that the answer is is for sure both. Um, I think that for for sure, I think when when people talk about you know it is it is the responsibility for white folks to dismantle white supremacy, I say like yes for so many reasons. One like people of color didn't create white supremacy, like that's not our mess, right? And also we literally could like. We can't do it if white folks are not doing it. So I think, from from those for those reasons alone, and there there are many others. Um, I, I also think um, just trying to trying to collect. There's like so so many thoughts right now. I'm just going to collect them. So I think a couple of things. One, I think. Um, there are, I have a lot of empathy as well for like white folks right now because like you're getting a lot of mixed sex signals. Like I will like, I, yeah, I will acknowledge that. It's like, it's like you just center, you know, POC voices, listen about, you know, right. But like, don't make POC responsible for teaching you, right? Like it's, 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 it's confusing. And, and one of the things I think particularly in this instance is like, Hava and I in different ways, like, this is part of our professional professional portfolio that we do this work, right? And so in this case, it's like, yeah, to like we we have said in some way that we are willing and want to do this work, and actually it's part, you know, so so bring us on, like pay us, right? Like this is you know um, this is it's not pro bono, right? Um, you know, so whereas if it was just you know I think and here's where I think it where it gets more to the other side of of not okay is like when you just you know, call up your random POC friend who's like a, an accountant and are like, you know, teach me about how to dismantle racism in the education system. And they're like, like, I can help you with your budgeting. You know what I mean? So it's like, that, that's where I think some of, some of it comes into um, 
like when is it appropriate versus not not appropriate um so the and and then then the other thing that i wanted to say here is also just i think it's um it feels really overwhelming knowing the the scope and the gravity of how deep race systemic racism goes in the country how deep you know anti-blackness goes in the country and if if any of us try there's no way that we can tackle this overnight, right? And if we if we and if we are if we try to picture all of this in its enormity, then there's no way that we're going to be able to move forward. And I think similarly, it's like if you're working in a Jewish school or institution, if you're if you're you you may be concerned right now is like saying like, oh my God, do I have to overhaul my entire curriculum tonight, right? And to me, the answer is, is no. Like, well, you won't that there's, you just won't be able to. I also understand, you know, there's so, it's already a time in pandemic when people are already, it's not business as usual. And so I, you know, know the stress that, that folks are on as well, but that's where I really want to encourage us to, to really, you know, one, to pick the lanes in which we feel like we have the capacity and power and ability to affect change and start there because it then it radiates out, but also to know that it's really, it's like the little things often here and there that really, where you can do the things and then it also starts to add up. So it's like, if you're someone who puts together source sheets for your work, then it's like the next time you put together a source sheet, think about who you're including in it, right? And start to, you know, and do the learning of like, what are the other voices that I haven't been using, but I could and make a more diverse source sheet. That's not going to by itself solve the whole thing, but It'll, you know, and the more often we do those little things, the more facile we come with it. Like I said, the sort of the more we be, are able to improvise with it and the more adept we are. And then we can also start to tackle bigger things because we, we started in the ways, in the ways that we could. And I think for me, it's almost, it's like when you play an instrument really well, you're looking forward to the opportunities when you get to play it. And so I don't mean this in an insensitive way, because obviously we wish that we didn't have to use these instruments of anti-racism but here we are. And so there is a certain, whatever, it's, it's just the, the knowledge that when you're doing something well, you know, and you're, you're doing something with skill that you, you, you know, you feel it. And so you almost sort of like, you sense those moments and it's like, oh, this is a moment to do the thing that I've been trying to become better at and improve my skill at it. All right. I'm going to throw a whole lump of questions at both of you now, and they're all in the same category and they're coming thick and fast through Q&A and they're coming in on the chat box and they came through on Facebook. And I know that not every person on this call is a white Jewish educator, right? And therefore I'm very conscious of the fact that I'm not talking to one particular segment of the Jewish population here. And I welcome and I'm so glad that there seems to be, at least from the question, the framing, that there is such a diversity on this particular broadcast. But here it comes. There's a ton of questions, I think, from many white Jewish educators just wanting to do the right thing and they're nervous or they're scared that they just might muck it up. They're asking questions. What do you see as some of the better practices today? Where are the areas for improvement? What are some of the things that I should be reading, listening, watching? Um, how can I be a good ally? How do I stop any action that looks like it's just being tokenistic or holding up my, my one black Jewish friend um, as the token? Um, how do I convince my stakeholders right now that this is a priority? Um, what work do I need to do for my, this one came through really, was a, this was a hard one for me to digest. What do I need to do for myself before I can bring this to my students or to my lay leaders 
or to my boss? Like what's the internal um, reflection that I need to be doing? So there were just like literally dozens of questions coming through about what do we do? So I'm going to ask you both just to give a few um, short responses. We are going to post a lot of these resources and references up on our website afterwards. But if I was asking you, Hava, what are some really core tangible pieces of advice you would give to Jewish educators today? What would some of those things be? Um, one is educate yourself. I think that the reality is due to the way the education works, like a lot of us are missing the edu- the basic education around race and racism, how to have these conversations and how it interplays systematically in our lives. So I think the first step is really to understand race and racism. Um, there are a variety of institutions and organizations who talk about anti-blackness and anti-racist education, um, particularly provide resources for kids. Um, and ed- uh, I would look into like embrace race. I would look into um, things like the 1619 project, um, which I, I think is a really great place to start. Um, you know, a lot of things aren't perfect. I think the reality is also when we're talking about the Jewish world is there aren't a lot of great resources um, that speak specifically to um, Jewish values and um, speak to like Jewish experiences. Um, It's something that our organization is actually working to create and will hopefully be out um, in the next couple months, you know, pandemic planning. Um, But um, I think that you know, like that's the reality. And also a very easy step is to support the initiatives of organizations that like mine or like Yoshi's that work in this area and say, you know, like we've been fighting for Jewish publishers to um, support more diverse Jewish books. We've been, you know, kind of talking about, hey, like the reason there aren't a lot of JOC professionals is because they find the Jewish professional world isolating or unwelcoming, let's kind of create programming that focuses on recruiting, retention, training, leadership development, support those efforts. I mean, you don't have to recreate the wheel. No one is telling you to come up with all of this stuff on your own. A lot of it has already been um, introduced and kind of and fought for, what we need are more people to support us. Because the reality is when I walk into a space and I say, you know what, I need um, Jewish organizations to you know, produce more diverse materials. I need the educational materials that are put out um, that are specifically on Jewish education to be more diverse. I have um, a certain amount of sway, but you know, like I said, you know, black folks can't fo- can't fix racism. If we could, we would already done it. Um, so what we need are allies. And um, you know, I heard uh, a wonderful guy, Yehuda Webster, say, you know, like ally is a verb, right? Um, I think that we have to acknowledge that we can no longer be passive. Like the answer is like, I wanna do the right thing, so then do something. I think that's the next step that we all have to take is that the next step is to do something and whether that first something is to recognize, hey, this is a problem that we are ignoring, haven't discussed and haven't talked about in our institution, so I'm gonna raise it. Like 
you know, you have to be that person. Like I'm a little bit of a rabble rouser, I'll, you know, admit. Um, so I have no problem introducing difficult conversations. But for example, my sister is not. My sister's like, I'm a doctor and I am not going to rabble rouse for you at all ever tomorrow or the day after. So if we put the onus on Jews of color to do the rabble rousing, then some of them just stay home. They're just like, if this place isn't going to be welcoming and they're not interested, then I'm going to stay home. And so what we need is other people to like link up, you know, with a couple of rabble rousers and say, yes, we're with you. Like we're going to support the initiatives that you're looking for and that we're going to educate ourselves um, around that. This, I mean, this is so rich and like you should see the comments coming through. People are just like, like literally sharing and asking for more and more resources. I just do want to say two things that I'm going to ask Yoshi to also contribute to this part is one is that um, I don't want to shoot myself in the foot here because we at the Jewish Education Project believe strongly in, in resources and accessing resources. But if anybody out there believes that downloading a PDF file is going to solve this problem or make you into a more inclusive Jewish organization or go get a Jewish black person to sit on your board and, and it's done, like then we've got another thing. You know, we really need a real wake-up call. It helps, but it's only part of the way. The other thing which you just like really made me react to strongly was like the whole term rabble rousing, um, the whole discourse around protest. I mean, Yoshi stopped before he got there, but he almost said, almost said, the purpose of Jewish education is for you to get up on your feet and protest for what's right in the world. Um, and like that moral obligation for us as a people, for us as Jewish educators to mobilize a generation um, to actually stand up for what's right is a really interesting and existential burden on all of us on this call today and, and others as well. And someone did ask the question, is there a generational shift? Is now the time for Jews today to be standing up? Not that Jews in the past didn't do that. And we all know the history and some of us know the history of Jews in the civil rights movement as well. But um, you've just raised a lot of really important conversations that we need to find ways to continue. Yoshi, what's your advice to Jewish educators? What should they be doing out there? Let's, let's hear it from you. Yeah. Okay. So what I, uh, <laughs> thank you for the lifting of the comment. Like, yeah, just downloading PDF is not going to make, so I think, you know, I think one, yeah, there's, there's what I, I would say is like a very, you know, stereotypically white response of like, Oh, we, we really need to learn more about this thing. And you know what? There are some people who have been learning about this, for years and it's like I think you've learned enough like start applying start implementing and so um you know I'm not saying don't learn but I think we really need to let go of trying to feel like we have to be an expert in this right because um you know it's just it, it's like listen if we can have 14 year olds who can be B'nai Mitzvah tutors to 12 year olds, or we can have camp counselors who are 19, who are, you know, like responsible for 16, right? Like we can also acknowledge that we are all on our own journey of learning and developing a skill on this. And that needs to not stop us from being transparent and authentic with the communities and the students that we work with of saying, let's, let's be into in this thing together. And I think, I mean, I think that just creates a more powerful bond between, you know, student and, and educator. Right. So that's, that's one. Um, 
the second I was also going to say allyship is a verb. So thank you, Chava, for, for putting that there. Yehuda for lifting that. Um, you know, it's a verb and, it, and it's a muscle, I would say. So like the more you do it, the stronger you get at it. And it's also, there's no there there. It's just something we need to keep on practicing. And the, and the, and the, the conditions on the ground will change. So what allyship meant, you know, uh, what allyship meant a month ago is different now in this moment because we are in a different moment, right? And, and so we need to also just be responsive and never think that we have like perfectly achieved like, you know, peak allyship. Um, Rashi, excuse me, just for interrupting, but I just wanna, just, just, let's just repeat this for our audience. I think it's important. Um, ally is a verb. Let, let's just like, let's just really just hone in just for one second on this because this could be the key. Like. Yeah. Ally is traditionally seen as a noun. You are an ally. You establish yourself to be an ally. And you're yeah. saying something very different. Harvey, you said it as well. To be an ally is an act of doing. It is, a, it is not a passive um, stance, but it is actually an actionable item which you need to work on. And like all verbs, you can get better at it. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, good. yeah. And so, so that also means we need to let go of, of like any attachment we have to the identity of being an ally Right, because again, because that's it's 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 not really a it's not really a thing, um, and, and it's also you know and, and listen like one person might think might very much feel you're an ally to them, and someone else might not because this is also something that's very personal. And I think when we put too much attachment to that identity of being an ally, then when that gets challenged, then it feels like a blow to the ego because it's like oh I thought I was a good ally, you're telling me I'm not. Whereas if you have the mindset of this learning growth ongoing, right, then it's like, well, of course, you're giving me criticism and feedback. And thank you, because you're not, you're enabling me to grow and become better in this. Yeah, and I think that that's also like a generational conversation, right? Because I remember when I, like the 80s, you know, um, <laughs> when colorblindness was the goal and like the absence of overt racism was enough to be an ally, you know, was enough for people to be like, you know, she's like one of the good ones or that one is like, it's a gold star. Um, and I think that we're in a different place in time where things like, um, I mean, I recognize very early was not a compliment, but like colorblindness is not a co compliment. Um, it says that you don't see someone fully in who they are um, and therefore can't address their needs because you don't see them. Um, and I think that that is kind of something that people in 2020 have really stepped into in ownership of themselves and a refusal to, de to deny any part of themselves um, to assimilate into different groups and that certain actions that used to be good enough are no longer good enough and people are getting pushed um, in ways that they've never been pushed before um, and I think and I recognize the difficulty in that particularly because it I mean, it requires a reframing of your understanding of the goal of racial progress, right? Because people got really wrapped up in that one MLK quote and then like forgot the rest. But, you know, like that became the, you know, as long as I don't see or own or recognize your difference, then that's the goal. And that is no longer acceptable. 
It's like, I want you to see my blackness. Um, I want you to see that, you know, like as Maya Angelou says, I'm like the hope and dream of a slave. You know, like I want you to see and recognize that in me and appreciate it and value it and respond to it in the way in which you provide education to me. So um, I'm sorry to interrupt, but what, what's the one message, we're getting towards time here, what's the one message of like optimism, hope you want to give the Jewish educational world? We just get one, one strong sentence to finish with here. What would it be? Um, honestly, I'm really excited that we're having this conversation. That, I mean, the one thing I think this pandemic has caused is for us to all be sitting at home, not being able to go about our regular lives as usual and ignore this moment we are faced with a beautiful moment to respond in a particularly and beautifully Jewish way based in our tradition and values. And I am going to hope that we can respond to this moment in a way that I know we as a community have the capacity to do. I think your, your reframing of the generational shift and that message for all of us is something that's going to sit with a, few, a lot of us for for quite a while, thank you. Yoshi, what's your one message of hope you wanna share with all of us here? The, the message, I think it's hopeful, um, is, well, the, the, but the, the message I really wanna like really push uh, is relationship before task. Uh, and, and Stephen Green, I saw your question. Hi, Stephen, I'm glad you're on. Um, and uh, this is partially a response to that. Um, without getting too much in the details because of the time, like we, we went through a whole process in terms of putting this this interview together and had different folks on at different times, right? And, and you know, David, I, I mean, I really appreciate you reached out to me because we have a, an established relationship, right? And then, uh, you know, we were, we were very much grappling with this question of, of who needs to be, who are the right people to be in this conversation and who are the right identities to be represented, right? In ways that are not tokenizing and checking boxes. And, um, and so we went through a whole process that, um, that, you know, anyone can reach out to me more to just sort of, you know, if you want to chat how I navigated it, not because I think I did it perfectly, but to sort of share, like, this is, this is just all the things that came up in the midst of it. And um, in the end, um, you know, uh, I, I was, so Hav and I were both part of a cohort of Jews of Color through Sela, which is a leadership, to, uh, personal leadership program run by Ben the Ark. We were in the first cohort of Sela that was for only an all JOC. Um, and that, so one, that was a very much a, a profound formative experience in so many different ways. Um, and, you know, we have this WhatsApp group that, you know, sometimes is not so active and sometimes, you know, lately has been quite active. And I reached out to that group and I said, hey, I'm coming onto this thing and I'm struggling. And at that moment, we didn't have anybody but me and David. And I was like, how should I go about that? Right. And we had lots of conversation. And then Hava was like, I could be interested. <laughs> and so I had a conversation and she was like, yeah, this sounds great. And I was like, you are, I mean, yes, totally. And we put all the pieces together. And I mean, I think it goes to show that like Hava was an amazing person to have on this. And so to me, it's just like, it is really putting the relationship before the task. It's not just saying like, we, I recognize the importance of having the representation, but we're not just going to go find some random person who hits the boxes to make that happen. We need to work through relationship first because, um, you know, and it, it taps into sort of the Martin Buber, I, it versus I, thou, right? Like, you know, if I relate to Hava just as like 
Like, how about, oh, she's a Black Orthodox woman I know. That's objectification. That's, that's an I-it relationship, right? And so I don't want to negate that those identities ex, you know, exist, because as Hava was just saying, those are important parts of her identity. But when I relate to Hava as Hava, right, and think about these are the reasons that Hava is an amazing person to be in this conversation, then we move into that I-thou and put the relationship before the task. So anybody who knows me would know that I would love to finish any lesson or broadcast that I do with the words of Martin Buber. And normally I would do that. But in this context, um, I think I want to say a couple of things just to try and wrap this up. And by no means is wrapping up the entire conversation, but at least our hour together today. Um, The Jewish Education Project um, stands for the transformative changes that are necessary in Jewish life today and in Jewish education today so that we become increasingly relevant for a changing population. When everybody says we're going, to out, we're going to come out of this pandemic with a new normal, I don't think anyone expected this new normal to include issues of race, diversity and inclusion. But I think I'm proud to be able to say here today that coming out of this pandemic, our organisation will become better off because of the voices that you've shared with us today and the people that you are, your willingness to explore these opportunities and the fact that you both said to us at various points that you're there and you want to work with us on going basis to ensure that these issues don't just stop and start today, but they continue moving forward. I really um, want to express my deepest sincere thanks to both of you for being our teachers today. I want to thank our folks, our friends at Jewish Live for all of their work in helping to get this happening. To our partners at UJA Federation of New York who make all of our work possible. To all of the questions and answers that we didn't get to, I apologize, but we are gonna really try and work out a way to answer all of your questions. Our website is now live with a ton of resources that my team has been working profusely, really profoundly along last week to get up there, um, to thank all of them, for, to Nessa, to Greg, to Gabe, to Karen, um, and to the whole program team that's put these resources up there. Um, the task is gonna be a long one. Um, but we've got to start somewhere. And I don't mean to say that we're just starting today, but if today can be a marker for us that we're working together to change the reality, to create a better world together, um, so be it. So thank you very much to Yoshi and to Hava. I really, really appreciate your openness, your honesty, um, and also your forgiveness in um, allowing me to bumble through this one and um, uh, just to learn from both of you. So thank you both very, very much. Thank you so much. Look forward to more conversations. Thank you. Be well, everybody. Bye.